Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalms chapter 46. And uh, Psalms chapter 46. And uh, something I wanted to mention, because I'm afraid I'll forget it if we uh, if we leave out of here, but uh, on Sunday was uh, Brother Jay and Miss Lytha's 50th wedding anniversary. 50th wedding anniversary. And I didn't find that out till afterwards. Otherwise, I would have embarrassed them on Sunday about it. But uh, I'm, I'm proud for them and uh, rejoiced for that. And uh, you say... Well, preacher, what's what's the secret to that? The grace of God. Only the grace of God could keep you together 50 years. Somebody say amen to that. So, uh, but we're we're proud for them and we appreciate them. God's already knit my heart with them, and I'm they're precious to me. Psalms chapter number 46, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number one. Psalms chapter 46, verse number one. Only 11 verses in this psalm, and we'll read the entirety of it. The Word of God says, "God is our refuge and strength, a very present help." In trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Father, I love you tonight. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it in our hearts and our minds. May it encourage your people. May it instruct us. And Lord, may it draw us closer unto thee. We'll be sure to thank you for what's accomplished. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we are living in troubling times. I find myself, and maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I pay too much attention. But I find myself troubled almost on a daily basis by what I see in the world around us. I see wickedness in the highest of places in our country. I see heartache and sorrow and, and brokenness in so many lives. I, you know, I've spent just the past two weeks and uh, just looking, watching at some of the things that have happened. And it seems like every day there's a new crisis. Every day there's more suffering, more heartache, and maybe to some degree it's always been that way. We're just so exposed to it uh, now. You know, I'm watching what's going on in Afghanistan and uh, watching uh, so much of the heartbreak, so much of the terror on people's faces, uh, so many failures on the part of our government in some of the things that they have uh, planned or uh, lacked planning in. I'm watching this flooding going on in, in the middle uh, of our state. And, uh, you know, it's easy for that to just slip past. Uh, but, I mean, there's real devastation in those families. I've read articles this week of families seeing their little seven-year-old girl swept away in floodwaters. You probably read the same articles. Another family that had twin little seven-month-old uh, babies that were swept away in those floodwaters. Families losing fathers and, and whole families perishing and We're living in troubling times. We're living in times where it's hard to know what to believe when you look around in the world around us. But one thing that is evident is that things seem to be coming apart at the seams all around us. 
And when I come to Psalms chapter number 46, I find in it some important instruction for living in days like the days we're living in. Some instruction that you and I need as God's children in how we keep and guard our hearts, how we stay focused on the will and plan of God for our life. And just to be frank, how we keep our sanity in a world that is losing its sanity. And I want you to notice a few thoughts in the scripture tonight. And I don't know, this may be a little bit different kind of sermon than what I normally preach. Uh, it may be a short one. I, I can't make no promises. But I want you to notice three thoughts this evening from the Word of God. Are you okay tonight? Y'all are awful quiet. Amen. I don't know if you've already fell asleep on me or what's happened. Uh, but you got to hang with me tonight. Amen. That when you don't engage with me, I just preach longer. So it's in your... Amen. Thank you. I knew that worked. Hey, when it when it ain't working, you know, just turn it into a hostage situation. And uh, all of a sudden your demands are met. So notice these three thoughts with me tonight in the Word of God, and then we'll go to the house. Number one, I want you to notice in uh, Psalms chapter number one, or chapter number 46, verses one and two, I want you to notice that the psalmist in these troubling times in his life, in his nation, when he when he's watching the heathen raging, when he's watching, it seems as though the earth just heaving and cleaving and roiling and boiling, he points to several things that give him peace in that time. The first thing he mentions is the presence that grants us help. The presence that grants you and I, as the people of God, help. Notice verse number one. He says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar, and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, say law. Can I say this, number one tonight? We as God's people need to be focused on the presence of God that gives us the help in our hearts, in our lives, and in our spirit that we so desperately need to face this world. There, are, There's nowhere to hide anymore. There's no taking shortcuts anymore. The people of God need the active, effectual, felt presence of God in our life more today than we have ever needed. I mean, the days when we could just coast through on cultural Christianity are behind us. It's no longer easy to be a Christian. And I'm not implying that there was ever a time when the world didn't hate Christianity in Christ. Of course it always has. And the world is always, the flesh has always buffeted the people of God that, that know the Lord. It's always persecuted us, our flesh has. But I'm saying we're living in such trying times, such difficult times, such wicked times, that there's no more coasting. We're going to have to seek God if we're going to keep our testimonies and keep our sanity. Notice what he mentions here. First, he mentions that the presence of God is a comforting presence. Two words that the psalmist uses in the very first phrase. He says this, God is our refuge and strength. As I have watched what has unfolded over the past couple weeks in Afghanistan and seeing the desperation in people's lives, I mean, literally people trying to cling to the outside of jets that there's no conceivable way they could have imagined they could hang on to that jet till it made landing in wherever they thought it was going. But sheer desperation had driven them mad. What were they looking for? They were looking for a place of refuge. Probably many of them figured it would be better to plummet to their death and it be somewhat painless than to be beheaded by the Taliban. And so they were willing to risk everything and some of them not even risking anything. They knew they were throwing it away so that they could try to escape or at least have an easier death than what they would have suffered at the hands of others. What were they looking for? They were looking for refuge. 
Now, whether you or I believe or agree that we as a country owe refuge to people, and there's a good argument to be made probably on both sides, can I just say tonight that we as the people of God, we also have a place of refuge. Uh, we have a place of refuge that is granted to us. Now, what is refuge? Well, refuge is shelter. It is safety. It is security. That's what those people are looking for. That's what they're clamoring for. And you and I as believers enjoy that in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think very often we don't take refuge in God the way that we should. Uh, refuge is no help if we won't take refuge. You with me? You all right tonight? It's of no help if we won't avail ourselves of the refuge that's available to us. So often we want to place ourselves right in the midst of the turmoil and then complain that we're so tore up at the wickedness of the world. If we don't get ourselves into the presence of God through fellowship, communion with Him, the study of His Word, the effectual faith in Him, leaning upon Him, we can't complain that we have no peace of mind. But we'll find that if we will run to Him for refuge, if we'll run to Him, the psalmist said His his name is a strong tower. We can run into it and are safe. If we'll go to Him, you know what you'll find? He has the ability to shelter us from so much of what's transpired. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying if you trust God, bad things won't happen. Uh, you've got the book of Job just like I have, and I bet you've read it too. You know that the people of God do indeed suffer. But you also know that even in the midst of Job's suffering, God gave him a peace in his heart, and God turned that to his good and to God's glory. Here's what I'm saying. We have this place of safety, but we've got to go to God to avail ourselves of it. We can't keep at a distance from God and then wonder why we have no peace in our hearts and in our minds. That's what I mean when I say there's there's no way or where to hide. Listen, there might have been a time when you could just sort of be half in in this thing of Christianity and expect that you could coast through life, but those days are past. I'm sorry, if you're going to live for God, have the power of God on your life, be used of God, and if you're going to go through this life with peace and happiness, you're going to have to stay close to God. He's our refuge. Not only is He our refuge, but He is our strength. Now, why is he our strength or why does the psalmist emphasize the need for strength? Because the psalmist is feeling deeply his own personal weakness. See, here's the reality. You and I don't like living in this chaotic world. We wish the world was in better shape. I do, and I'm sure you do as well. But we often view that as a disadvantage. Well, it's just so wicked. It's just so awful. It's just so terrible. And of course, that's true. I'm not minimizing it. But I'm saying this. Those are the exact kind of conditions through which we know God in this deeply personal way of Him being our refuge and our strength. In other words, if I wasn't trying to get out from under the storm brewing over top of me, I wouldn't seek refuge in the first place. And if I did not sense and feel deeply my weakness and my strength, my inability to change the things around me, I'd never seek after His strength. You see, it's unpleasant. It's unpalatable. We don't like it. That's understandable. But it drives us to a greater dependence upon God if we allow it to do so. Uh, people that feel strong don't seek strength. But people that feel deeply their inability, and I don't know about you, I, I feel very helpless in our world. And maybe that's not fair. I mean, I understand that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It transforms things. I, listen, I'm rebuking me when I'm saying these things. Uh, but I, I feel a great sense for the kind of like, well, what can you do about it anymore? For a lot of years, they said, well, just vote them out. Brother Ken said you can't. Did you hear that Facebook? Brother Ken said that, not me. What do you do? What do you do anymore? Uh, people say, well, you know, you write a letter. 
No, you ain't done nothing but give the post office 55 cents. I'm saying this, that great sense of vulnerability we feel, we begrudge it. I understand that. I don't like feeling that way. I, I wish I had known how good we had it when we had it as good as we had it. We don't have it that good now. But I'm saying this, we can either grow bitter over that. We can either wallow in that sense of helplessness and, and, and curse the moon and, and scream at the stars. Or we can say, you know, this is the very thing that I needed in my life to cause me to realize how helpless I am, but how powerful God is. I see that His presence is comforting, but listen, we gotta avail ourselves of that. Refuge don't help you if you won't get in. Strength don't help you. If you won't seek it, He is our refuge. He is our strength. Not only that, I notice His presence is constant. It says He is a very present help in trouble. He's never AWOL. He's never MI. He's never absent from our trouble. That tells me this, that though there may be times in my life or in yours when we feel like God is at a distance, we know that when trouble comes, we are assured that He is always close. Did it ever dawn on you that the troublesome times that we live in ought to give us greater confidence that God is personally present in the lives of His people? Because He said, I am a present help in trouble. I don't want trouble in my life. You don't want trouble in your life. But isn't it good to know that when trouble shows up, God shows up too. He is a constant presence. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Not only is it a constant presence, but it is a calming presence. He says this, Therefore will not we fear. Now this is not a statement based on emotion. Because I think it is reasonable to expect, given the circumstances that the psalmist describes, that he is living in fearful times. Just as you and I are living in fearful times. You say, preacher, I'm not afraid. Watch the news. They'll get you that way. We're living in times where there are fearful things floating around us all the time. In fact, we are living in a society that has been yielded to a cult of fear. Where fear is the currency of the day. It's a means of control over people's lives. There's just about no liberty people won't give up when they're afraid. And so they're trying to make people afraid so they can take power from you, so that they can take independence from you. And you say, well, preacher, I don't know. That's just all tinfoil hat stuff. You could have said that two years ago. I don't see how anybody can say it's tinfoil hat stuff. I remember being called a lunatic for saying we, we might have vaccine passports. Don't you remember that? If you said that, if you said, hey, this they're going to try to do vaccine path. Oh, put your tinfoil hat away, preacher. Here we are today. Oh, the government never do anything like that. Well, how did they get there? Well, they got there through fear. They got there through fear. Now, whether, you know, there is a reason for us to fear this, that, or the other, I'm, I'm done arguing. I'm, I'm, I'm so over arguing with folks about it. But you cannot claim that we have more freedom today than we had two years ago. Cannot claim that. And how did they effectuate that? Did they do that by bribing people? Did they do it by giving them a better standard of life? Did they do that by motivating people? They did it through fear. Fear has the ability to rob us of liberty. It has the ability to rob us of peace of mind. In fact, it is the very robbing of our peace of mind. The psalmist says, we're not going to fear. We're going to trust God. Now you say, well, preacher, what was it that he had to be? He don't have the same things to be afraid of we have. I mean, there's all kinds of things to be afraid of today. Well, what did he say? He said this, though the waters thereof roar. Well, let's back up to verse number two. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed. That's not happened yet. Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's not happened yet. 
They tell us it's going to happen all the time, don't they? They tell us, well, if you run your air conditioner and drive a V8, pretty soon the mountain's going to be carried into the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, say law. None of that's happened. I'd say that's a lot worse than anything that you and I have been through. And so if the psalmist says, even if all that's happening, I'm not going to fear because God is my refuge then what right or liberty or license do we have to yield to fear? That may be perfectly natural in its scope. Listen, I understand that. But the question is not what you feel. The question is what you resolve to. The psalmist says, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to live like that. Why? Because God is my refuge. You say, well, preacher, the world's falling apart. Well, uh, listen, our life is hid with Christ in God. Let the world fall apart. Let the world fall apart. You say, but, but preacher, we don't, I mean, what if we don't have the, the power, the strength to change anything? Well, God's our strength. I'm saying this, there is a presence that grants us help. Not only that, there's a plan that gives us hope. Look at verse number four. He says this, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. Let me say there's a presence that grants us help, but there is a plan that gives us hope. As is often the case in the Old Testament, the uh, word of God leaps from that which is practical to that which is prophetic. And I'm not meaning to say prophecy is not practical, but you understand that we have moved out of the realm of merely what is uh, present and practical, him talking about God's goodness in his life. And he begins to transcend to realms of prophetic utterance where he's talking about things that God's not yet done, but that one day God will do. He goes on in verse number five and says the heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. He goes on in verse number eight, says, come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wards to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. The psalmist looks past the present and looks to the end of the plan of God. It appears to me, and you're welcome to disagree with this, but it appears that he is looking to the battle of Armageddon and to the kingdom that God will one day set up afterwards. And he describes a few things that give him peace in this day. And let me just say, we'd be greatly helped if we get our eyes off of the past and the present and get them on the prophetic and get them on what God is going to do. Things look bad right now, right? I mean, you, you know they do. I know they do. Man, I don't even know what is getting ready to happen. Uh, I mean, you say, preacher, has your opinion changed uh, through all this stuff? Well, only in that it seems like there is no limit to how crazy things may get. Directionally, I remember, who was it? One of the, one of the candidates for president made a statement like that, talking about they, they caught him in a lie, and they said, well, I was, uh, I think it was that Cortez woman, she went in the, but she said, I was telling the truth directionally. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I was directionally right. The limits to which all this chaos on by man, I don't know. But I do know this. If I look beyond that and I look to the things that God's word has promised, I find great peace and great hope. I, I there, No elected leader gives me hope. No prospect of any election gives me hope. I'm just being frank with you. You can disagree if you want. I don't. But I don't have any hope. You may you may have hope that things are going to get better in the midterms. I don't. You may have hopes things are going to get better in 2024. I don't. You may have hopes if we can get somebody with an R by their name in the White House, it's going to get better. I don't. 
I just don't. That's that's fine. We don't have to fuss or fight about it. But I just don't. I, I've given up all hope in them. But I've not given up hope in God. His plan still gives me hope. What did the psalmist see? Well, notice number one, he saw a future capital. And it wasn't Washington, D.C. And it wasn't any other great world city. But it was the new Jerusalem of God. Verse 4, he says, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. He saw a little glimpse of what John sees in Revelation 21 when John says, uh, and this of course is after the millennial reign, this is when there's a new heaven, new earth, but he said, I saw a new heaven. I saw a new earth, he said, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and neither shall be no, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. I've given up hope that anything good is going to come out of Washington. I, I don't believe it. Maybe I'm a cynic. But it seems like whatever party. And, and by the way, let me, unless you're confused, I'm a conservative. I'm more conservative than anybody you're going to see on Fox News. I am a conservative. I believe in, in limited government. I, I'm not an anarchist, but I believe in limited government. I believe in individual liberties and rights, property ownership, the right to keep and bear arms, the freedom of religion. You know, all those dusty old things that we had in the Constitution. I believe in those things. So I don't want you misunderstanding what I'm about to say. But I will tell you that I, I have no hope that anything, that any answer is going to come out of Washington. doesn't matter. The institution's too broken. It's all too corrupt. They have, they have backdoored their way around the checks and balances, and they bought and paid for the whole lot. doesn't matter who it is. But I do know this. It ain't going to come out of Washington. But there is a capital one day where righteousness is going to issue forth where there's going to be a river of the water of life flowing freely. There's going to come a day, it ain't going to be about Washington, D.C. anymore. There's going to come a day, it's going to be about the exalted enthroned Savior of God seated in Jerusalem. He, he saw a future capital. Not only that, he saw a future conflict. Verse 6, he says the heathen raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Notice the two parts to this verse. The first is the hostility of the world powers, the heathen rage. In other words, they, they gave out a great war cry. They said, come on, God, uh, come and bring your best and try to defeat us. It envisions for us the scene at the Battle of Armageddon in the Valley of Megiddo in northwest Israel. The place, by the way, Napoleon said it was the gr earth's greatest natural battle site, greatest natural battlefield. Uh, when the armies of the world are going to gather together in defiance of God, uh, and they're going to gather together to wrestle over uh, Jerusalem and whose it belongs to. I've always thought this was funny. You're going to have the powers in the West claiming it's theirs. You're going to have the powers in the East claiming it's theirs. Then you're going to have God show up and say, it ain't neither of y'all's, it's mine. And the heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. It means they shook with rage and with anger. They moved. They convulsed. They gathered their armies to defy God. What a great battle will ensue. Well, not really. It says... He uttered his voice. That's all it takes. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. What's that going to look like? Well, John the Revelator saw it. He saw heaven open, Revelation 19. 
And behold, a white horse. That don't scare me. I ain't scared of no color horses. Even if it was a horse of another color, of course, wouldn't bother me. But I believe my Bible. And my Bible says, behold, a white horse. doesn't make me nervous. If you're a Bible believer, it shouldn't make you nervous. Behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. All the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In other words, the psalmist looks past and he sees the final battle that will ensue one day between the world powers and the kingdom of our living God. And he sees this, that God wins. That God wins. I'm not a warmonger. I don't want war. I'm over it. I think we've been fighting senseless wars for a long time. Everybody's sick of it. I don't care who you are. We all want it no more. And there's going to come a day that God's going to accomplish that. And it'll be accomplished through the power of Almighty God. All the kingdoms of the world will get. God will destroy them with the power of His Word and His voice. He sees a future captain, verse 7. The Lord of hosts, He says, is with us. Now the titles given to God are of distinction in the Bible. They're important. And He says, the Lord of hosts. This is the military title of God. The host that's referred to there is a standing army that is active, that is moving, that is on the move. The Lord of hosts, the one that is the captain over the armies of God, the psalmist says, He's with us. He's with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. In other words, he says, I've, I've seen this, I've seen the battle unfold, and I've seen who's on the winning side, and the people of God are on the winning side, and God Himself at the head of their army. In other words... He says, I've realized this, that you and I as Bible believers are on the right side of history. It's His story and we're on the right side of it. You hear people say that all the time, being on the right side of history, the right side of history, the right side of history. I'd say this, we're on the right side of the Bible. History is written by the winners. You know that to be true. There is no telling how much propaganda we've been fed for hundreds of years. Uh, and you can disagree with what I am about to say. I am a Southerner. That doesn't bother me. May bother you. Doesn't bother me. I'm a Southerner. There's no telling what all kind of propaganda that we've been fed about things in years past. Uh, and I'm telling you this though. I don't care really whether I'm on the right side of history. History has always been a means and tool of control and coercion. I care about where I stand on the Bible. As a Bible believer, as somebody that's put their faith in God, we're on the right side of the Bible. Uh, the world's not going to be judged by history books. It's going to be judged by this book. We better make sure we're on the right side of this book. And listen, to the gutters with the rest of the books, we better be on the right side of this book. And John says, or the psalmist says, well, they kind of all say it, don't they? said, I've looked to the end and we're on the right side of it. He sees a future captain, then he sees a future conquering. He says in verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations He hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease under the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow. And cutteth the spear in sunder, he burneth the chariot in the fire. He's going to win so hard that the game won't be played anymore. He's going to win so thoroughly that there won't be any more wars. 
He'll reign in righteousness. You say, preacher, I read about another war down there in Revelation chapter 20. Yeah, and he destroys them with uh, fire from God out of heaven. It ain't even a war. They gather for a war and he just wipes them out. The last war is that battle of Armageddon, at least in the classical sense of what a military operation or war is. And uh, it's only that on the part of the Gentile world nations, not even that on God's part. He just shows up, speaks the word and destroys them with the brightness of his coming. And it's going to be so thorough that war will cease. Micah, the prophet, saw it. He said this, in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow unto it. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about Zion when he says that. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Man, to know that God's got all this worked out and He don't need your approval or my approval for it to be worked out. He doesn't need us to believe it. It'll be true whether we believe it or not. We need us to believe it. But He doesn't need us to believe it. This is settled truth. This book will stand when the world is on fire and it says God has a plan. And the psalmist says, man, when I realize that plan, it reminds me that from this little puny place I'm sitting, it looks like the devil's won and the world's broken and everything's falling apart. But he said, all of a sudden, when God exalts me up to get a bird's eye view of his plan, I realize every bit of this is happening the way God wants it to happen. I see in this passage that there is a plan that gives us hope. But then finally, I want you to notice there is a patience that guards our hearts. Verse 10 says this, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. How do I act, preacher? How do I respond in light of this? What do I need to do? Well, notice four things. One, we need consistency in our performance. He says be still. Now, he does not mean be idle or be inactive. But what he means in saying be still, it's in juxtaposition to the idea of frenzy, the idea of running to and fro to do this and to do that to try to reconcile and, and rectify the problem and the situation. And it's like God says, hey, just calm down and do what you know is right. We're constantly bombarded. Sign up for this, man. Sign this petition. Sign that petition. Give this amount of money. Do this. You better email this person. You better this. If you don't do this, I was listening to something, I don't know, uh, some, some talking head thing, but, uh, they were talking about, I guess the, uh, I guess the NSA is, uh, spying on members of Congress. Boo hoo. Been spying on us since Patriot Act was instituted. Now all of a sudden it's problem, right? And, uh, so he, he was, he was whining about it. And by the way, I'm not endorsing what the NSA does. It's criminal. It's a police state. It's a surveillance state. I'm, I'm against it. I just find it rich that all of a sudden, when it's them, members of Congress, are, you know, they're all tore up about it. But here's what he said. The, the news guy was saying, well, what can we do about it right now? He said, I don't know what you can do about it right now, except the next time at midterms, you need to vote us in. <laughs> Imagine that, Ken. 
Imagine that. I mean, think about that, Seth, that, that all our problems would be fixed. How convenient that if we just vote this guy in, he won't do us that way like the others have been doing us. <laughs> and, you know, guys like that, hey, donate to my campaign. Do this, do that, do this. Go sign this, sign that. You better do this, you better. What does God say? God says, be still. He doesn't mean quit serving me. He means keep serving me. Don't run here. Don't run there. You just settle in and be consistent in serving God. Consistency in our performance. Number two, comprehension of his person. He says, know that I'm God. Now, when he says no, he's talking about a deliberate affirmation. He's not saying you're not aware that I'm God. He's saying the way you've been acting does not gee and haul with that concept that I am God. We need to resolve ourselves to recognize that He is God. He's not just a power. He's not just a higher power. He is God Himself. And He is our Savior and He is our refuge and He is our strength. And what can we not face when we know that God is our refuge? Be still and know that I am God. Notice what He says next. He says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, we need confidence in His plan. I know it don't look like it right now, but there's going to come a day, my Bible says it, that every knee will bow. Every God-hater, every wicked, vile person. Hey, listen, every tyrannical government and the men that profit off them and laugh about them, one day every knee will bow. Every backslidden Baptist. Every, every, every cultural Christian. One day every knee will bow. He says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. It don't look like it right now. But you want peace of mind? Trust God's word over whatever it is that the world's telling you. But all that is pointless if we don't have this last thing. Look at verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now this is interesting to me because if, if you've been paying attention, that's a rerun, right? That's a repeat. That was already mentioned back in verse number 7. But what's amazing to me is in this apocalyptic vision the psalmist has, seeing these great world events unfold of, of God overthrowing nations and leading at the head of His army, he says, boy, you know, God is on our side, fellas. I mean, God is with us and we are with God and praise the Lord. I've seen it in the vision. I've seen it in the Word of God. I've seen the truth of it. And it's like he comes down to the end and he says, you know, that same God that's going to be with us then, He's with us right now. That same Lord of hosts that's going to be with us that I saw in that glimpse of, 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 of eternal prophetic events, that same God, He's the God that's with us now. He is our refuge. He is our strength. In other words, in repeating this, it's almost like He draws that personality and that glimpse of God's majesty and power and authority and draws it into the, the present. It's almost like He says this, think about the fact that that God is our God and is with us right now. Here's what I want to say. We need communion in His presence. Now, when I say communion, I don't mean that. And we don't call it communion around here because it's not a, it's not a biblical term uh, in, in light of the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper because that's the term the Lord's Table. It's what's used biblically. But I understand a lot of people take that word communion to mean the Lord's Supper. That's not what I mean here. I mean fellowship. Communing with God. Spending time with Him. The key to patience is to dwell in His presence. How did Elijah, and I'm not going to go into a big thing, I just want to mention it. How did Elijah get the resolve and strength he needed 
to go in and to look at one of the most powerful men in the world and to challenge him and to speak the truth of the word of God to him. You remember what Elijah said? He said, the Lord God of Israel before whom I stand. In other words, Elijah said, I just got through talking to God. I've been hanging out in his throne room and I got a message for you, Ahab. Part of the reason we lose our nerve, our resolve, our boldness, and certainly our peace of mind is we're not spending time with him. Earthly thrones scare us because we've not been spending time near his throne. What was the remedy Isaiah needed in Isaiah chapter 6 when the earthly throne toppled in the year that King Uzziah died? I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. The smoke of his glory he spoke about filled his temple. Uh, in, uh, in other words, here's what he said. He said, I realize that no matter what's going on on the earthly thrones, God's sitting on the heavenly throne. And if I'll spend time with him, I'll be in a place of peace, of refuge, of strength that this world can't touch. Well, preacher, what do I need to do? What club do I need to sign up with? What do I, what petition do I need to sign? Who do I need to write a letter to? Who can I fuss about? What can I post on Facebook to fix all this, preacher? What do you need to do? You need to be still and know that he's God. You need to keep doing what you know is right, what you know is true, what you know God expects of you. And rest in the confidence that the God that we love and know and serve is not just a God, He is the God. He's a God with a plan. He's a God with a presence. He's a God with power. We need to be people of patience in trusting Him. Not idleness, but consistency in our walk with Him. Let's bow together tonight. This musician comes to play. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. What you've been letting tear you up lately? Is it something that God don't control? What's had you uh, popping nerve pills and wringing your hands and sweating bullets? What's had you laying in bed at night so mad you can't sleep? Is it outside of God's control? I'm betting it's not. Now here's the question. Are you going to choose to trust God above your circumstances? Are you going to choose to focus on His throne room instead of on the chaos that's unfolding around us. I'm not asking you to put your head in the sand. I'm asking you to put your eyes on Jesus and go forward serving Him and glorifying Him in your life. Melissa's playing the piano. The altar's open. What about you?